Welcome to another episode of Chic Compass Connection. This podcast will give you a glimpse into the window of the popular Chic Compass magazine, where we feature art, music, design, fashion, travel, dining, and all things chic for the culture-starved audiences of the world. To view our magazine online, visit www.chiccompass.com. We would like to thank The Vegas Room in the Historic Commercial Center in Las Vegas, Nevada, for inviting us to their supper club to broadcast our show. To learn more about The Vegas Room, visit www.thevegasroom.com. And I'm your host, Amy Crosley. Welcome back to another episode of Chic Compass Connection. And today we have a New York City designer that just opened up a studio here in Las Vegas. He has worked with many influential people, celebrities, royalty, and I would like to welcome Mr. Thomas Berger. Thank you, Amy. I'm thankful to be here. I appreciate you uh, inviting me. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. You are our first interior designer on this episode. Really? I'm honored. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm a musician, so I'm just going to pick your brain a little bit about just interior design just in general. But first, why don't you tell us about yourself? Well, I was born and raised in Indiana. Mm -hmm. uh, my parents were avid art collectors and antique collectors, and uh, which is kind of odd because they were both educated in the mm -hmm. sciences, my mother in mathematics and, and uh, chemistry, and my father was mm -hmm. a surgeon. And I, too, studied and graduated with honors in, in the science field with mathematics and physics and chemistry. Uh, but I think being raised around antiques and art and sitting in auction houses every single weekend as a child, um, that was it. Art and architecture was sort of embedded in me. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, art was at the time anyway. Um, so after I graduated, um, I went off to Europe. And that's when I fell in love with architecture. Oh, I bet. Where, yeah. where did you go? All over. There wasn't a country or city, basically, that I didn't visit. Wow. I spent a lot of time researching where I wanted to go, which buildings I wanted to see, what parts of which buildings I wanted to see. Um, so I really started my education and my love of architecture in Europe. Nice. Um, I then found my way back to New York eventually and started working for some architectural firms. And then in the uh, late 80s, I opened up my own design firm where I put a marriage between architecture and design and art. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. So how did you get started in New York? Did you just move to New York and say, all right, I'm a designer. Let's get started. No, I wish it were that easy. <laughs> yeah. Actually, um, when I moved to New York, I, I found my way to uh, study under William Breger, mm -hmm. who was a Harvard-educated architect. He taught me a world of information and how to view architecture, how to integrate design into it. Um, mm -hmm. He recently has passed, which is sad. Um, but I'd like to think that I carry his spirit with me in, um, in my business. That's beautiful. Nice. So... I want to talk about your design style specifically. Now, we talked about this a little bit earlier. <laughs> yes. So design style, I actually think it's a mistake for designers to have a favorite style. That's what you were telling me. Yeah. Um, I think they get stuck, and then it influences how they relate to their clients. And instead of style, what I'd like to maybe um, educate your audiences to, how does one want to feel in their space? Mm-hmm. 
um, and and how you want to feel in in a space is is actually the best starting point for design. Once you know how you want to feel, do you want to feel protected and and cocooned? Do you want to feel opened and and inviting? Uh, what are your focuses? Are your focuses on family? Are they on career? All those things go into design. So picking a style is perhaps secondary compared to how you want to feel in a space. Very cool. So I'm sitting here in the Vegas room uh, listening to you <laughs> say that. And yeah. So what would you say this atmosphere would bring you sitting here in the Vegas well, room? Well, it's funny because I was speaking with the owner a few minutes ago, Tom, mm -hmm. and um, he described what it looks like at night. And I can tell with the, with the uh, t white tablecloths and um, the dim lighting and the candlesticks, I think it would be, it, I can see it's very beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when you create an atmosphere, as you're working with your clients, how do you discover that in them? Like what kind of, how do you create that atmosphere that they want? That's a very good question. I don't think everyone can do that. I used to think mm. everyone could, but I, I realized it's actually a gift. And um, I think we all have special gifts that we've been given, some in design, some in music, some in um, medicine, some in mathematics. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's a gift to be able to read people and put things together. I think good design um, reflects your clients. I think great design gives them a space to grow into. And I think a lot of people don't realize that, that your environment will actually help you grow and expand. Wow. Or it can do the opposite. So you want a good designer to help bring you to your future self. Wow. Okay. So you're almost, it's almost like a psychological thing. You re you're reading people to. It is. You have to pay attention. You have to that. listen. You have to become a very good listener. You have to almost, you're right, kind of psychically figure out who they are and where they want to be in life. Mm -hmm. And if you just listen, they sort of tell you mm -hmm. in what they say and what they don't say. Okay. So good design has a lot to do with listening. Okay. How over your expansive career have you managed the balance between collaboration and creativity with your clients? Amy, that again is a very good question. Um, good design is about listening. Mm -hmm. It's about the designer listening to the client and the client listening to the designer. My clients are very successful people in the world. They have their own niche um, passions in industry and in music and film. Um, some are, you know, just um, very well educated, but they're not necessarily educated in design. I am. Mm -hmm. So although I love listening to my clients and I do very carefully, I also help them learn to listen to me. They've come to me for a reason. I educate them on things that they've never thought about when it comes right. to design. Right. That's my job. Mm -hmm. My job not is not just to make pretty places, but actually to educate my client. Yeah, open them up to your world. Exactly, exactly, yeah, which is rather vast after almost 40 years, actually. <laughs> I wasn't going to admit that. Um, but after almost 40 years of design, there's a lot that I've seen and done and know. And I want to impart that to my clients so that they can have their best expression of themselves mm -hmm. in their environment. And in this new light that they didn't see themselves before. Exactly, exactly. I design um, not for the person who's in front of me at the moment, but I design for your future self. Mm -hmm. 
design and architecture, your environment literally forces you to grow and expand one way or the other. Yeah. So you want to choose a designer who wants to expand you into your higher self. Right. And that is a gift and an art. Absolutely. So in your experience, you speak about your clients being immersed in these new environments. Can you name someone that you've, one of your clients that you've seen grow in your spaces? Yes, actually. Um, when I first started out in the 80s in New York City, and I was young and idealistic, I had a client, she worked in the fashion industry, was a rather big name in the fashion industry, and she had just gone through a very troubling divorce. And she wanted her new, very small apartment, having come from a very large apartment. Mm -hmm. um, she wanted to feel embraced and cocooned and shut in and kind of closing off to the world. And um, I could have done that for her, but I thought it was a mistake. Mm -hmm. So after some long conversations, I encouraged her to do exactly the opposite. To open up the space, make it feel light and beautiful and elegant and feminine, um, and remind her, perhaps, of who she truly was. She was beautiful. She was elegant. Mm -hmm. uh, she was a, a woman, uh, feminine, and uh, even if she worked in a man, man world in fashion. Um, right. And it actually changed her life. She ended up meeting someone and getting married six months later. Wow. So I do, I'm there a very strong go. believer that environment can change. It's the unspoken truth. Absolutely. That's, that's amazing. Okay. So I want to talk about the future of your, uh, your group, your, your design company, Thomas Berger Design. So what are some things that we could look for in the future? What can, we see, what can we see in you? Well, thank you for asking. Um, right now we're working very hard on a lot of homes up in the Summit, uh, which is a very high-end residential uh, community here in Las Vegas, um, doing a lot of work on the East Coast still as well. Um, but what excites me most, um, back in New York, when, I, when um, I first started out, I had created an internship program, which was world-renowned. I had mm. people from all over the globe coming in for my internship program. It was actually recognized by four White House administrations. Wow. I was awarded Businessman of the Year, I think, back in 2005 or six, something like that. Um, but what was exciting about it is, although I love art and, and design and architecture, one of my biggest passions is helping people find their passion. Beautiful. So my internship program was not centered around design, but it was centered around creating a value, how to create a value, and then how to market that value. So it was really teaching, and I had students from 18 years old all the way up to 75 years old. Mm -hmm. So it was quite an honor to work with such a large range of, of, of ages. But I actually um, taught them how to, how to find their passion, create it out of nothing, into a business that actually could support them and give value to the planet. Because any good business, if it's not delivering value, it's not a good business. You've got to deliver value and lots of it, not just monetary value, but spiritual value, um, educational value. Um, there's lots of different types of value. And I think that's what really creates the most successful business model. Yeah, giving back. Absolutely. Very unlike a lot of the television shows you see today where people are pitted against each other to win a competition. I, I find that to be the least um, 
encouraging business model on the planet. Um, my, my internship program, which was now going to become an, a seminar that I'll be giving probably in the new year um, in my offices at the World Market Center, and that is to help people learn to work together. When you're working together as opposed to pitted against each other, magic can occur, miracles occur. Something that they never thought they, they could create suddenly becomes real in the world. And that's what I'm most excited about is my, my new seminar program that I'll be producing in January. That is awesome. I love your I, the way you speak about competition. I am taking an educational psychology class right now, and we are in the stages of talking about creativity and bringing creativity to your classroom. And one of the things that was uh, presented in my class was things that kill creativity. And the number one killer was competition. Absolutely. Other things were like um, uh, was evaluation. Yes. Testing. Yes. Um, uh, overly critis critis criticizing students. But when you put all of those things together in a competition setting. It kills, it kills all creativity. Yes, it does. They do studies where they would put kids in one room where you could just let them go. And you... Um, support them and work with them on their their visions and then they had another study where they had the kids have guidelines and then they had crit they were criticized for certain things and then they had to do it in a competition setting the lack of creativity went way down to where of the kids didn't did. even the kids didn't even care about what was going on in that study where the other kids were flourishing and going beyond their boundaries so i firmly believe that in all aspects of the fine arts, whether it's music, because I, as a musician, I, I was in, in the education system, it was always about competition. You had to beat out the, you, you always wanted to be first chair. Yes, I understand. You always wanted to be first place at these festivals. You travel across the country to get awards and your teacher's yelling at you at the bus all the way there, you know, rehearsals after rehearsals. So it takes the passion out of creativity. It takes, it takes the hope out of creativity. Mm -hmm. I'm a product of, of testing and schooling. I mean, I was a Hoosier scholar. I mm -hmm. was National Merit Scholar. I mean, I was a very, very good student. Um, I have lots of degrees in everything um, and learned almost nothing. <laughs> right. It wasn't until I started traveling and experiencing life mm -hmm. that all of a sudden everything came together. Right. I'm not against education. I just feel that there's, there's a better um, track to follow when when measuring uh, what students are learning. Yeah. I think testing is one of the worst things in the world. Yeah. And competition right thereafter. Mm -hmm. So <coughs> who are some of these interns? If you could think of an intern, how have you seen them grow beyond your your teaching well I don't know if I can say this on radio but I'm going to I had um, <laughs> two young ladies um, one was from the Jewish faith from Israel mm -hmm. and um, one was Muslim and it was the first day of my first internship program and the air was a little thick and these two ladies both very attractive were um, at the time very competitive and um, came from very diverse backgrounds with very different opinions about a great many things. Mm -hmm. They actually ended up at the end of my one-year program, cr moving to Israel, and creating a new business 
one that was promoting world peace. Wow. So it took a year, <laughs> but it was the most rewarding, um, one of the most rewarding um, experiences out of that first inter internship program that I created. Great. So there you go, changing the world, right? Giving back to the world through creativity. So I want to thank you for coming in today. Well, thank you, Amy. It's my honor. Thank you. Yeah, this was great. You're our first interior designer on Chic Compass Connection. And I feel very honored and inspired by this podcast, actually. So where can we find you? My new office is in Vegas or at the World Market Center. Um, I'm listed. You can go to my website at www.thomasburgerdesign.com. By the way, burger spelled B-U-R-G-E-R. -E I was just about to have you spell it. <laughs> exactly. And social media? Social media. Um, I have Instagram. Um, the I have someone who manages my Instagram. <laughs> um, best way is just call me. Okay. My cell number is always listed on my website. Call me. Happy to take your call. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Thomas, for coming in today. You're very welcome. My pleasure. Mm -hmm.